later on that he had a head deacon in the church that was divorced and remarried. I said, brother, you're too late. I preached it, and I don't have a church. If God didn't give me this body to minister to, if I'm not faithful to it, then I'll lose it. But if I'm faithful, I don't believe I'll lose it. That pastor says, boy, I'd never preach it in my congregation. You know that pastor's out of his church now? I don't even know that he has a church right now. I know there's been a struggle on this thing. Let me go on to say that I have many in my own family who have been married, divorced, and remarried. My own mother was married, divorced, and remarried. And you think I didn't try to find a loophole? You think I didn't try to find another answer? But in being honest with God's Word, there was no other answer. If I take Mark and Luke as being the premise and then go to Matthew and find out how that would fit in with the other premise and I go to the book of Corinthians and I find out what Paul said at the end of the chapter and in the 10th verse of the chapter and then try to correlate the rest of them to fit in with it, it can't mean anything else. And if I try to warp it into any other feeling, any other meaning whatsoever, I make schizophrenic uh, out of both Paul and Jesus. Double-minded people who are unstable in all their ways and I can't have confidence in them. I know that if we conform on some of these things, the world will accept us. But I know also if we don't conform, God will honor us. And I believe that we're going to have a stronger and a better body and a better witness for Jesus Christ in the days ahead. I'll tell you honestly, I would rather any day have the position that I'm holding than the position many churches are holding today and the total disregard for any scripture whatsoever concerning this. To where they are marrying and giving in marriage as it was in the days of Noah. Within the body. First of all, the standard was only if you were divorced before you were a Christian. Then if you become a Christian, you're a new creature, now you can remarry. Some people say, well, that isn't fair because we're both non-Christians. Now we've become a Christian, but we can't get along, so we separate. And now will you marry? Well, this is extenuating circumstance. Yes, we'll marry you. Now we become a judge in every particular situation. In the past, God winked at sin, but now commands all men to repent. Because you see, all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. They'll always have a reason and an excuse, and that's why God's word is absolute on this. We don't dare conform because Jesus has an invasion plan for this world. And if we conform and begin to be like the world, they're not going to be able to see what they need to see when we begin to tell them about Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord says, now here's my invasion plan. I want you to understand it. It's very unique. First of all, I want you all to come together and I want you to worship me and I want you to praise me and I want you to sing to me and I want you to glorify me and I want you to bring pleasure to me as a body and I want you to learn to love one another. I want you to study the Word together and I want you to know what the Word says and know what I expect from my people. Then the next thing I want you to do is scatter and infiltrate. Infiltrate, infiltrate, go everywhere, get in amongst the people. Don't just stand there and let your little light shine, but let them know why it's shining. I've had some people say, well, I'm just a silent witness at my job. People just look at me and they can just tell I'm different. You know, that's pride. If they know you're different, but they don't know why you're different. I had a young man in my home church who was in high school. He was straight four-letter man, straight all-A 4.0 man in high school. And he came to me at the end of his senior year weeping because I had witnessed to some of his friends in school and they had made a commitment to Christ. And he said, I have failed in high school because I always just wanted to live it quietly. Everybody could tell I was different. And everybody would say to me, boy, that Bill is the finest guy. He says, Joe, people come to me in high school and say, Bill, why are you so different? And he said, I flunked out with God because I'd say, well, 
I just don't enjoy the things the rest of you enjoy, and I can't see any sense in doing the rest of these things. They thought, boy, Bill sure is a nice guy. But it didn't glorify God. Now, if Bill had said, men, fellas, the reason I have any of these things that I have and I can do the things that I do is because there came a time in my life that I committed my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He came into my heart and made me to be His child. I'm a new creature in Christ now. And these things that you see in my life, I have to give God all the glory for and I've got to give Him all the praise for it because He made a new person out of me. If God were to take His hand off my life, I'd be worse than the worst of you. Now the next time they'd see Bill doing these things, they'd begin to say, boy, God has really done something in his life. He doesn't take any credit for it at all. I remember going back to my hometown one summer from Bible school and there was a fellow that had a business in town that had helped me when I was a young boy, had made me the mascot of the air circus, and that was a big thing to me, see, in my little hometown in Fremont. And he tried to help me out and he took me around all these different towns and let me help sell tickets for this thing and gave me free rides and all. It was just a real impression on me. But he knew that I was living on the rougher side of life. So I went into the business and sat down with him and said, I just want you to know what happened in my life. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, I invited Jesus Christ to my life and he's made a new person out of me. He said, oh, Joe, you've always been a nice boy. I said, come on, quit kidding yourself. You know I wasn't a nice boy. When I was out with you guys, I was stealing. I was lying. I was, everything I could do. Oh, no, I always knew you were a good kid. You're going to make it. I said, no, I wouldn't have made it had it not been for the grace of God in my life. Well, I knew you'd come out of it. I knew you'd straighten up. I said, I was headed for prison, and you didn't know it, evidently. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ made a change in my life, and I'll never be the same because of it. He tells us to infiltrate. You know, a lot of churches sing, Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Send the answer back to heaven by thy grace we will. That's not scriptural. He didn't tell us to get down behind the wall and cover our heads with our hands and hold on and grit our teeth until he came back. He said, get out in the world and infiltrate and talk and speak and tell others about Jesus. Don't be intimidated by them. Don't be conformed by their attitudes and their opinions about you. Lift me up. Praise me. Exalt me. Tell others about me. Have you ever tried to hide a drunk in a crowd? You ever tried to hide a drunk in a crowd? Think about it. We even had one in a church service, not oh, some several years ago. You could tell who he was by the way he sat, by the way he talked, by the way he walked. You couldn't hide him. How'd you like to hide Larnell Harris in this crowd? Jesus said, This world is full of darkness, and you are what? You're what? You ever tried to hide a light in a dark room? We would go around singing, Right in the corner where you are. Right in the one you want to find out. Right in the corner where you are. Jesus said, I want you to be like a drunk in a crowd. You got a good imagination? You can smell where they are. You can see where they are. Everywhere they go. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're filled with spirits, you know it affects your walk and your talk and your attitude and your everything. And he was giving that as a comparison. He says, I want you to be drunk on the Spirit of God. I know some guys that never say a word until they get a little bit in them. After they get a little bit in them, you can't shut them up. Jesus said, that is my program for winning the world of Jesus Christ. I want you to go and be like a drunk in a crowd. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus has set me free. I'm a new person in Christ. Ah, shut up. Why should I shut up? He's setting me free. You worship your God, I'll worship mine. I love the Lord. I want you to know I love the Lord. 
There's a place for that. Keep that out of this place, see? We just cuss and smoke and chew and drink and dance and do all the things we want to do over here. You keep that out of here. Why? Let the light shine, Jesus said. Bring the light in amongst the darkness. Say, here I am. See, Jesus is in my life. Don't be influenced by the world, he said. But rather, overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When I thought about what I told you this morning about John Osteen, I thought to myself, they were serving the devil back behind him, and he turned around and just used his power as a Christian to do his cussing. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And it was so powerful, they couldn't even stay there anymore. And I think it's time for God's people to quit being intimidated by the world and get into the crowd and begin to just scatter and shine for Jesus and then come back together and fellowship and grow and not be embarrassed how we worship the Lord and go back out and get a little bit more bold again and forget about all this tact. You know, when I was in college and seminary, what they taught me to do, they said, don't take your big Bible into the hospital. And so we bought a little tiny New Testament that I fitted in my pocket here. They don't want you to stick out. They don't want you to, you know, be obnoxious about your faith. I stand in the hallways now with my Bible a lot of times trying to figure out which verse I'm going to show to people or talk to people about and pray with them as I'm standing there, Lord, you want you to give me discernment? People come walking by, I say, hello. And I go on looking through. I'm not trying to be flashy. I just am not going to be ashamed of the fact that I read God's Word. But they taught us there that you don't flaunt it. You just get a little tiny New Testament and mark the verses that you want and you take them in. You say, yeah, but what will happen if I do that? I might be embarrassed. They might say something. There's that old unrenewed mind again. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you're in the dungeon, your back is bleeding, you're to say, Glory to God, rejoice! For great is your reward in heaven. Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I'll tell you, if you and I won't conform to the world, when the world comes to a real have a real need, they'll seek you out. You understand what I mean? You conform, you just... Go along with the world. Do what the world says. When they come to a definite need, they're not going to look for you. If they ridicule you and laugh at you because of your faith in Jesus Christ or just kind of put up with you sometimes, you mark it down. When they get into real trouble, they'll look for you first thing off the bat. I remember working at an elevator one summer, my first summer out of Bible college, and I had never been through such a time of ridiculing and laughing and joking at me and guys cussing at me, telling me, preacher, don't sit here and move over there. We're going to tell filthy jokes. And I'd said, I don't care. I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'd sit right down in the midst of them. And if they'd try to tell them some filthy jokes, I'd say, you know, I read a verse this morning from the Scripture. <laughs> I could just feel them just get all riled. But you know, they quit telling jokes. Man, I read a verse this morning. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I'm telling you, it's hard to do. But I just thank the Lord for this day. <laughs> and I had one guy that used to cuss at me. He'd even cuss at me across, clear across the field. Stay out of here, old preacher. You know. And one day I had to get up on top of a big oil tank. They sent two of us up there to do something. I can't remember. They were going to float it, put water under it, float it over to a new location. And they sent two. I didn't know who the other guy was. And I just went up the top of the tank. And as I got up there, I heard somebody fall down on their, just fall down on the top of the tank behind me and start sobbing. I looked around and here it was. I said, what's the matter? Did you hurt yourself? No, no. He said, oh God, pray for me, Joe. I said, pray for you. Why? He said, I know what you've been saying is right, and I've, I'm away from God. I haven't been serving the Lord, and I need to serve the Lord. Will you pray for me? And right there on top of that oil tank, I had an opportunity to pray for that young fellow. But he was the most vile mouth and most ob obnoxious fellow all the time on that job. If I had conformed and said, all right, fellas, whatever you say, I'll go along with you. What do you want to say? What dirty jokes do you want to tell? It never would have come to me. But he knew that something was in my life. I didn't want to be conformed to the world. And I can't 
if I, if I allow the Word of God to renew my mind, it won't happen. I want to talk to you next Sunday morning about the results that can take place in our lives if our minds are not renewed by the Word of God. What's going to happen? What happens? What does the Word describe happens to a person if their mind is not renewed? And you're going to see how it applies exactly to these truths I've been telling you. I've told you how we should act. I want you to see what the Word of God says is the end result of someone who does not allow themselves to have their minds renewed by the Word of God. You've got to stand in one camp or the other. Really. One camp or the other. You've got to get in or get out, get on or get off. One of the two. Because there's nothing more miserable in the world than a person who isn't established as to what they believe in the Word of God. And Paul says that's rebellion to God. If God says it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. Now again, I think you should be as the Bereans. When you hear something from the Word of God, go home and study it. And don't just say, I don't believe it. Just can't grab that. There must be something better. If you can't find another answer, say, until God shows me something else, I'm going to walk in that light. As hard as it may be, I'm going to walk in that light. And let me tell you something. I've had to do that because there were things that I didn't feel like doing and I couldn't understand why I had to do them. But the more I did them, the better it felt. The, the natural mind does not perceive these things and you have to by faith say, if God says it in His Word, that's it, I'm going to walk in. Now I'll tell you the end result is you're going to be established in the Word of God. And when the storms come, you're not going to swing one way and the other. And we're going to be talking about some of those things next Sunday morning. Will you be praying for me? That God will help me to be faithful in teaching what He has to say about a renewed mind. A pastor can preach his heart out for 12 Sundays on a subject. And people will sit there and say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. And you think, well, glory to God, they're getting it. And then he'll invite an evangelist in and the evangelist come in and he'll put one different word in the title and preach the same message. And people come up to the pastor after and say, glory to God. Have you ever heard anything so fantastic as that in your whole life? Isn't that wonderful? I never saw that truth before in my life. And you feel like saying, where were you? But I know what it is. It's a different voice, a different personality. And then God uses certain individuals to cause your heart and mind to be opened up. I say that because I've experienced it. I've known this truth that I've been preaching to you, but it never struck me as it did when God laid it on my heart through the messages of Albert Willis. When I heard this truth again, all of a sudden I thought this is what God has been trying to get me to be able to share with my people so they can understand why they have to have a renewed mind to be able to receive some of the truths that they're getting. Now I know that I know that I know some of you will go out having heard this whole series and when we begin to preach the word again, if it doesn't agree with what you feel, think, smell, taste or whatever... You'll say, I just can't agree with that. Well, what verse do you go? Well, I can't go up on any verse, but I just don't feel it down in my heart. Down, down in here, it just doesn't feel right. Now, I say that because I know the human heart. And I hope that nothing else, you're praying through the week, God, whatever Pastor Webb, this burden that he has on his heart, if it's for me, open my spirit to it. Let me see what he's trying to say. I want to share something with you. I have found out one thing. If the Spirit of God doesn't open your spiritual understanding to a spiritual truth, I can preach until I'm blue in the face and it won't make one bit of difference. You know that? 
You see, it's impossible for you and me to receive any truth if the Spirit of God doesn't bring it to us. Are you aware of that? You know, none of you could have been saved had not the Spirit of God convicted you of your need. How many people do you witness to week after week and you just see it just more or less run off of them like water off a duck's back? And you'd like to grab them and shake them and say, won't you listen, won't you hear, don't you understand what I'm telling you? And it's just deadness. Spirit of God hasn't quickened them yet. Spirit of God may have brought conviction to them, but he has not opened their eyes. What did he say of the nation of Israel? That there is a scale over their eyes right now for a season. How many of you have ever witnessed to someone that's had scales over their eyes? How many times did you get frustrated with them? <laughs> Lord, you know, Lord, I thought I was going to win them. I thought I was going to. What's the matter? The Spirit of God has to do it. Now, that truth is so very, very important. When God is ready to deal with someone's heart, he'll deal with them. You know, I used to be in evangelism. But you know, even then when I was in evangelism, I always told the pastor, I don't pick green fruit. And when the altar call time would come, I've been in some evangelistic meetings where I would literally just recoil. When they would see how many were lost, no one would come. How many as Christians weren't right with the Lord, no one would come. Before long, is almost as ridiculous just to get someone to the altar. It almost asks everybody that likes apple pie, come to the altar. You know? And I thought, why strain if the Spirit of God doesn't do the work? Now, I realize something again. I am presenting to you a truth that God has revealed to me. My prayer is that God will make it real to you. That you'll see it. And it'll change your whole concept of receiving truth. And I know that when you do... It'll make it so much easier. Rest in the Lord in this thing. I, I went through a tremendous struggle, as you know, but I don't struggle anymore. I'm resting. Brother Ken Young and I were just talking about a while ago. He said, do you know what the Sabbath is? He said, it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I said, well, yes, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Wait upon the Lord. He's paid it all. He's done all the work. Now we rest in his finished work on Calvary. See? And there's some people who are just trying so hard to fulfill the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. He is our Sabbath. You see, we rest in him. We wait on him. And see, that won't strike some people. Some people still think, oh, don't do that on Sunday. I'm not saying Sunday should be a holiday. I think it's one day a week that should be set aside to worship the Lord and to spend time with God's people. And whatever's rest. What is rest to you? If a guy has been out working and digging ditches and slinging heavy material and equipment all week and cement blocks and everything, else, resting to him might be going home and just stretching out on a chair or a couch or a bed or something and really resting. If a guy has been sitting in an office all day at a desk and just grueling over some fine paperwork, exercise out in the yard may be something for him that's rest. I don't suppose for rest that... That Skip goes out and wrestles all Sunday afternoon. That's not rest to him. He does it six days of the week. Rest to him would be something different from what rest would be to someone else. But what I'm saying is that these truths are so vital. And if we don't get them down here in our spirits, it'll be up here and Satan will come and snatch it away from us. Philippians 4. You see, if I even stopped on verse 4, chapter 4, and started preaching on that, it would drive some of you up the wall because you see the human mind, the natural mind, can't perceive of this. It just cannot grasp this. Rejoice in the Lord whenever you feel like it. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I'm simply trying to get a point across to you. It says rejoice in the Lord always. 
And someone says, well, Brother Weber, I can't do it all the time. The scripture doesn't say that you can't do it. If you couldn't do it, it wouldn't tell you to do it. Now, you see, I'm, I'm coming against an unrenewed mind. Rejoice in the Lord always, in all circumstances, in all situations, rejoice in the Lord. You say, but I'm just a young Christian. It doesn't say everybody but young Christians. But I'm a nervous mother. It doesn't say everybody but nervous mothers. It says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, I, I'm just doing that, trying to jar that unrenewed mind that we might have. that says I can't do that. We, we need to change that confession to the Word of God that says I can do how many? All things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can't rejoice always in the Lord, but I can allow Christ to cause me to rejoice always in all things. And there are times when I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene when I find my spirit rejoicing in the midst of deep turmoil. Now that's not a natural thing to have my heart rejoicing in the midst of deep turmoil. That's a supernatural thing. And you see, there's times when my spirit doesn't start doing that. My spirit starts straying off, and I have to grab it by the nap of the neck like David said. And why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Come on, straighten up. Begin to rejoice in the Lord. And then you begin to look at the circumstances. That's what Peter did. Peter, can I, Lord, can I come out and meet you out there in the water? And he says, come on. Oh, I can walk on. Isn't this wonderful? And he had his eyes on the Lord and suddenly a wave came up here in the corner of his eye and he looked off the word says he looked away from the Lord and he saw the waves and he cried out, Lord, I have an unspoken prayer request. Now he says, Lord, save me. Now it wasn't that he couldn't walk on the water because he was doing it. It was simply because he got his eyes off of the source of his power and his strength. The minute you and I start looking at the waves instead of the Lord, we won't be able to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, when we, by the renewed mind, can begin to perpetually walk with our eyes on the Lord and off of our problems, we can begin to experience Philippians 4, 4. The unrenewed mind can't do it, but the one that is walking in the light of the truth of the Word of God can. You see what I'm saying? It's got to be in the light of God's Word. It can't, you can't draw that strength from the flesh. You can't grab yourself by the bootstraps and pull yourself up and do it. It's got to be through the renewed mind, receiving God's truth and walking in it even when it doesn't feel like you can or it's anything. The natural will tell you, no, it's impossible. But then the spiritual rises up and the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against the enemy, the Word says. And you can say, in the strength of Jesus Christ, I will rejoice because God's Word tells me I can. Now, that isn't natural. It isn't the normal thing, is it? I'm sure that everyone here all week, 24 hours a day, has been able to rejoice in the Lord always and again rejoice. Now, I caught myself sometimes this week when I wasn't. Now, you know what I could have done? I could have said, well, see, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I knew it didn't work all along. I was just trying it out just to prove that it didn't work. I'm sure you've had people say, well, I've tried Jesus, but that didn't work. How many of you know you don't try Jesus? Did I hear evangelists once in a while say that? Just try Jesus. You don't try Jesus. Another spiritual high, maybe you tried drugs, you tried this. You don't try Jesus. You recognize Jesus for who he is, Lord of lords and King of kings, and you acquiesce, you yield, you submit, you bow down to him and make him Lord of your life. And when you do that, you die and his life takes over. His life never fails. Jesus never fails. 
No, I didn't say, ah, see, I told you it didn't work. I said, God, forgive me. I'm not applying the spiritual truth. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Father, I ask you to forgive me. In Jesus' name, I was looking at the waves again. Now, I will think upon the fact that Jesus never fails. I will think upon the fact my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I will think upon the word of God that says no weapon that's formed against me shall prosper. Glory to God. Now I can rejoice again. You see, I'm out of the flesh and I'm back into the truth of God's word. And it doesn't have anything to do with my circumstances. It has totally to do with what the word says. Now, if we have a foundation in the Word, we're pretty solid because it says in the Scriptures that Thy Word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. Now, that's one thing to have something settled on earth, but when it's settled in heaven, God says, Amen. In heaven, that's it. I can stand on that. My unrenewed mind can't stand on it, but by the renewing of my mind to the Word of God, if the Word says it, I believe it, that settles, that's good enough. Then I begin to experience now, the experience doesn't come when I begin to do it. It doesn't come until I've done it. I can sit here and think, well, I shouldn't be thinking over here about all these problems I have. I should really be thinking what the Word of God says, and I don't get any peace when I say that. It's when I do it. I rebuke that. I renounce those thoughts in the name of Jesus. I will think on what God's Word says as He told me. Now, we're going to get into that more and more later on, so I'm just trying to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I told you. But that's what the Word says. When you begin to act on it, you begin to think day and night on the Word of God, not on circumstances, not on what men think, what men feel, what men say, but what God says. I've had people come around to me, doomsday people, you know, crepe hangers, telling me, oh, you know what's going to happen you know that this is going to... I said, no, I just don't receive that in the name of Jesus. Well, I, now, I'm not trying to dissuade you, but do you know how things are going to be? You know what the stock market's doing. You know what the economy says. You see what's happening in the interest rates. But the Word doesn't say that my stock market or my government, the United States government, shall supply all my needs. The Word of God says my God shall supply all my needs. And you know something? In His treasures in heaven, according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus... He doesn't have inflation. He doesn't have recession. He doesn't have dollar devaluation. Does he? And I see Christians many times going on wringing their hands. Oh, what am I going to do? How am I possibly going to make it? There's just no way. I can just see everything's just falling apart. My business is going to pot. Well, if it's your business, it ought to. You're supposed to be dead and it's his business. And you begin to quit confessing what the world says and what the economy says. You know, anymore, I have a difficult time even reading U.S. News and World Report in the newspaper. If you want to be a glum chum, just start reading some of that garbage. I mean, it's so funny. One month, everything is bad. Next month, everything is good. Next month, everything is bad. Vacillates, but you know when I get into the Word, it just always stays good. Now, you see, that's not the natural mind. You say, well, now, Brother Webb, you've got to listen to what all those experts say. E.F. Hutton said it. I'd rather have somebody say, God says. <laughs> that's when everybody ought to listen. God says, you center your business on Jesus Christ, don't care what people say about E.F. Hutton. You see what God says. And you just stay with what God says. How many Christians do you know of who have been obedient to God's word that can honestly say God's ever failed? Now, we've got some people here that have been Christians for 60, 70 years. 
And I can assure you that they can stand up and say upon the authority of God's word, he has never, ever failed me. Now, that's pretty good testimony. But you know something? I don't know many people can say that about their stockbrokers. One fellow says it wasn't the bull market nor the bear market that destroyed me. It was all those bum steers. You know why? Because we started listening to what the world says instead of what God says. And if we listen to what God says, we can rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, I just tell you something. Nothing that I've said to you thus far as in my notes. <laughs> I just, I'm going to get to my sermon before long, but I'm giving you this as an introduction. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you're careful for nothing, if in everything you pray, if in everything you give thanksgiving to God, letting your requests be made known unto God, then the peace of God that passes all understanding. In all circumstances. Finally, let's get down to that bottom line. Now, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, the renewed mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2 again, it says in there, be not conformed. I told you that that in the Greek is an imperative verb. That means this is a must. Be not conformed. And if you and I allow ourselves to be conformed to the world, we're in direct rebellion to God. Now, I want you to know that in the majority of churches today, the very, the very things that they teach and the very things that they preach and the very faith that many of them walk today cause us to be in rebellion to God. I never understood years ago that Jesus Christ was my great physician. I never understood years ago that Jesus Christ was my deliverer. I never understood Jesus Christ was my source. I never understood that he was my health. I never understood all these things. I used to go around always being concerned about these things. How are these going to work? How's this going to work out? How's that going to work out? How am I going to get ahead, you know? I didn't understand those things. And consequently, in the majority of those years, I went around born again in love with Christ, but not understanding biblical principles of having my mind renewed to the Word of God. But it's imperative. Don't be conformed to the world. And I told you last week that being conformed is masquerading in the mannerisms, the speech and expressions, the styles and habits of the world of which you are no longer representative. I cannot emphasize that strongly enough. And I hope that when you get the tapes, you'll write that out and read it over and over and over again. We went through that last week. Do we, by our mannerisms and our speech, our expressions, the styles, the habits that we have, are we representing the world of which we're no longer representative? Because the Word says that we are now representatives or ambassadors of God's kingdom, Jesus Christ's kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. We're just ambassadors. We're sent over here, sent left here on earth just to represent His kingdom. And yet I said last week, we're doing things in a way to please the world so many, many times that we wonder how we're going to win them to Christ. We do things the way the world does them. We do it to please them. I mentioned four places at work, at church, in public, and in our homes. We're displaying that our minds have not been renewed many, many times by the way that we act and react to the world not declaring that we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We have had our minds so trained and programmed by Satan 
And when he says get sick, we're sick. If he says get afraid, we're afraid. And we have to have that renewed by the word of God. When he comes and tells us that we should either be depressed or lonely or unworthy or whatever it might be, we'll say, I renounce that confession in the name of Jesus. I won't receive that. I am born again of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells within me. I am in the Beloved and He's mine and I'm His. I have received His righteousness. And the Word says the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ. He took my sin. I received His righteousness. Therefore, I am in the sight of God because of the blood of Jesus. I am righteous and I'll no longer receive this old lie that I'm unworthy. In Christ, I am worthy. Clothed in his righteousness, God sees me as white as the driven snow. We'll say, oh, I'm just so unworthy. No one should have anything to do with me. There's no good in me whatsoever. I am just, just can't do anything right. And you see, as long as he has our mind under that cloud, he has us right where he wants us because we can't be what God wants us to be. He says, be not conformed, and I told you what conformed means, to the world. And I said last week that the world is a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses and aspirations and aims that occur at any time, which it may be impossible to adequately define, yet it constitutes an effective power of influence over us. All these things that we see in the world today that influence us and put pressure on us and try to bring us into conforming to the world, although you can't lay your finger on it many times because you say, well, you can't prove that from the Word, from the word of God, but still it has a pressure and it keeps us from being everything God wants us to be. It has an effective influence of power on us. That's worldliness. And we fear criticism from the world. That's why we're so ultra-concerned about what we wear and where we live and what we drive and how we drive and... We're concerned about how we witness or if we witness or if we should witness or use discernment and understanding, you know, and just wait a couple, three years till they know us a little better and then talk to them about the Lord. All these things are indications that it is having an effective influence on our lives. You know, really, if we're walking with the Lord and our mind is renewed and we know that the word says, my God shall supply all our need according to all my need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If we're driving a 1944 Ford with the trunk door off and the right door off and two headlights gone, if we know that we're in the center of God's will and that where we're driving, we should be able to rejoice in the Lord because that's where God wants us right now. But as we wait on the Lord day by day, He will cause us. The Word says if we'll meditate on the Word day and night, if we'll be obedient to the Word day and night, that He'll actually cause the blessings to overflow on us, overrun us. Then He'll cause them to run us down. He says then you'll be prosperous. When? When you're content, Paul says, I've been exalted, I've been abased, but in all those things, I'm content. Therefore, now I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It had to be that renewed mind. God, I don't care where you want me to be. If you want me to be the top of the ladder where I can minister to those who are at the bottom of the ladder where I can minister to them or in the middle of the ladder where I can minister to anyone that's around me, Lord, just put me where you want me. I'm your plant. Stick me in this garden or in this thorn bush or wherever you want. I just want to bloom for you, wherever it is. Now, the renewed mind can walk in that. But you see, if we are influenced by that floating mass of thoughts that says if you don't drive a certain car with a certain style on it and have a certain suit that has a certain name inside of it, if you don't have all those things, why you're never going to really be influenced. That's a lie for Satan. God knows right where he needs you. You know, we've got three or four flashlights around the house. And when I get ready to go outside in our yard... I decide which flashlight I need and where when I'm going to need it. 
Now, I've got a little pin light. If I'm going out just to find something in my car, I can take the pin light. But if I think there's somebody prowling out around the edge of our yard, I go out and plug in that 200,000 candle power lamp and I, I find out what's going on out there. It just turns it on like daylight. Now, the Lord knows whether you and I are a pin light or a floodlight or a flashlight or whatever, and He'll put us where we want, He wants us to be if we're content and we'll be where He wants us to be. And the unrenewed mind says, Oh, no, Lord, surely you've got something better than this for me. I deserve more than this. See, that's the unrenewed mind. Influenced by the floating mass of thoughts and opinions in the world. Having an effective influence on us. Not renewed by the Word of God. And I told you that God's program is to renew our minds in order that He can get His army ready to do the job. And you see, most of God's army isn't ready for the job yet today. Because they're still very, very much afraid of that effective influence that the world has to offer. If they criticize us and come against us and we start witnessing, we clam up and say, well, I've got to try a different approach here, be a little more quiet. But God says, no, I want you to be a drunk in a crowd. Did you get that last week? I want you to be like a drunk in a crowd. I want, want it so that you can't hide a drunk in a crowd. Everywhere he goes, you know where he is and what he is and who he is and why he is. He talks and says things that no person, you know, would normally say. He is more friendly than normal also. He just, you know, how are you? <laughs> you know, that's, people say, well, oh, come on now, you know. But you know right where he's at. And Jesus said, I want you to scatter and infiltrate and get out there in the world and talk. Speak the word. Speak faith. To where everyone comes around and says, oh, no, here he comes again, you know. And they'll get, but they know where you are. But you know the matter, the truth of the matter is, the word didn't say just shine. It said that we're to scatter seed. Again, I tell you, Kenneth Copeland has it nailed down with that renewed mind. He said, I don't care what people think of me, what they say about me. I'm going to carry that big Bible and I'm going to go in and I'm going to get the word down in their heart. Once I speak that word to them, I've got a hook in them that the Holy Spirit can work on and it can't get away from them. And if they want to think I'm absolutely crazy, that's fine. He says, I'm well. My bills are all met, my needs are all met, but they call me crazy and they're going through problems and they're trying to find the solution to the psychiatrist and the psychologist. They haven't got the answer. But he said, why be afraid? Speak the truth of God's word. Share your, your witness. Share your testimony with them wherever you go. Be a drunk in the crowd. Infiltrate. Get in amongst them. Let them know where you are. He says, leave the rest to me. You know the ones that used to aggravate me and irritate me the most before I was a Christian? Those blabbermouth Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I saw these other little quiet ones over here. You never did anything, never made a ruffle, you know. You look at them and say, oh yeah, they're good church people. The ones who used to aggravate me is when they come up to me and say, Joe, you know something? You really, really need the Lord. The Lord could really bring some peace into your heart. Ah, get out of here, you know. But when I'd walk away, oh, oh, they had stuck something down inside of me that I couldn't get away from. My sister just had the sharpest barbs when she'd turn to me and say, you know the Lord loves you. I can't believe that he loved me, Joe, but he really loves you. And, you know, you really need the Lord in your heart. You're not finding any satisfaction out there. And I'd go say, boy, tomorrow night I will. And I'd go out and I'd try all the harder to find satisfaction. And I'd come in when I was laying in bed. It would be like the Spirit of God to say, see, you didn't find any satisfaction, did you? And see, she was like a drunk in a crowd. I couldn't get away from my sister. Everywhere I'd go, she'd tell me about Jesus. She had a renewed mind. She didn't care what people thought. Our whole family knew she'd gone crazy. But she came in smiling. She wasn't concerned the least bit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. She was a Baptist that said, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. She said, 
The Lord has been so good to me. She said, you know, I used to think I was having fun, but I didn't know what fun was until I found Jesus. And I thought, oh. But then I'd watch her life. Say, once you'd said it, then I'd watch her life. And I saw what she said was true. And it changed her life. Oh, I would to God that we could begin to grasp a hold of being renewed in our minds. According to the word of God. Now, you cannot do it. I'm saying it again. You cannot get down and say, now, God, give me a lot of boldness today and get up and walk out. And expect that day to have a lot of boldness. You're going to have to get the word down in your heart. What does the word say about witnessing? What does the word say about sharing? What does the word say about not being afraid of men's faces? Said if we're afraid of men's faces, we're dumb dogs. That's one DD degree I don't need, you know. That's what it says. If we're afraid of men, we're not to have the fear of men within our hearts. If you do, cast it out in the name of Jesus. You say you won't have any fear of men anymore. You're going to have the boldness of the Spirit of God in your life and begin to be a drunken crowd. For Jesus. Now, I know it's devastating, but you know something? The other day I was saying, now, Lord, I, I really desire to witness to someone. Will you just show me who? And for some reason, it came out that I was a preacher. I said, praise the Lord a couple times when I was talking to him. I have been purposefully lately determined that I'm going to say, praise the Lord, or the Lord is good, or I thank the Lord, and this sort of thing, so that it gets across to them where I stand. And by the way, I've had a few of these Looks like this lately. I think, glory to God, I'm getting them. <laughs> That's all right. I don't care. Anyway, this fellow says, say, say, you're a preacher. We, we've got a question for you. And he had me call this girl out of the car. And he, We're going to get married. And I said, I said, what do you think about this, this, and this, and this? I stood there and took 30 minutes to answer them. And I said, it doesn't make any difference where you two want to go to church. If you're both from different denominations. Let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus in your heart? Is Christ living in your heart right now? Can you say that you know if you're to die now where you go? Can you tell me exactly what you'd tell God if you came to the gate of heaven right now and he asked you why he should let you in? They said, no. I said, I'm going to tell you the answer and you need it in your heart. And I believe God's going to bring those two to Christ. You see, but they'll never get away from what I had a chance to tell them. I'm trying to practice what God has shown me so I'm preaching to you. A drunk in a crowd. I went over and was working in a place the other day just for a few minutes with, with another fellow. And while I was there, I began perfectly singing psalms. Fellow turned on me and says, Boy, he says, don't have singing around here very often. I said, Well, it isn't very often that you find someone that really loves the Lord. I guess that's got to be it. And I said, You know, the Lord's so good, I can't help but sing. He went right back to work. He didn't have any more questions for me. A drunk in a crowd. The unrenewed mind can't do this. You hear me? The unrenewed mind is going to be sophisticated. The unrenewed mind is going to be very, very cautious. Well, we don't want to upset the apple cart. You know something? There were apple carts dumped all over the city of Jerusalem when the disciples got saved. When the believers in the New Testament got saved. Not only the apple carts, they turned the whole city upside down. <laughs> Drunks all over that town. <laughs> Drunk with the Spirit. Just so happy over what Jesus had done, they could not be quiet. Father, renew our minds. In Jesus' name, begin to make us to realize how desperately we need to have our minds renewed by the Word of God. Not what we think or what we feel, but what does God's Word say? Obedience to the Word. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And to obey than the blood of rams and goats. Oh, Father, I ask that you'll set us free from the fear of sharing with others the joy that you've given to us. And Lord, if we don't have a joy in our hearts, then I ask you to cause us to do what the Word says. Rejoice in, it, in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
if we have to do it in David's way, where we just go back and begin to enumerate all your blessings and all your promises that you've fulfilled and your faithfulness in our lives and the way you've never failed us and to begin to rejoice in that and if necessary, dance before you and thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And then in that rejoicing spirit, in that grateful, thankful spirit to be able to go out from there and just let others see the joy of the Lord in our lives because you said it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. Oh, we thank you today that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you, Lord, that when we rejoice in the Lord, that you dwell in the midst of the praises of your people. And I know that when you come, that our lives have to be changed, have to be different. In the mighty name of Jesus, I ask for your anointing and the outpouring of your spirit upon each heart here this morning. I thank you for them. I thank you for these lives. And Father, I ask that tonight, in a very special way, you'll anoint the, the message as we begin to think upon the positive aspects of being able to have our mind renewed by the Word and what will happen and the things that will be eliminated from our lives where we'll never have to struggle with them again when we're obedient to the Word of God. Turn, if you will, to Mark, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible, though. Mark chapter 4. We talked about the fact that God wants us to scatter. He has a strategy that is to scatter and to infiltrate and to shine and to speak. And there are some people that, that from time to time say, Brother Webb, do you think that we're really, Brother Joe, do you think we're supposed to have a, a deep burden for the lost? Well, when Jesus was teaching concerning the kingdom of God, he brought out different aspects of what the kingdom would be like. Those that would be in the kingdom, what they would be doing. And I do believe that one of the greatest responsibilities God has given to the body is to shine and be a witness for Him. That's why He said you're the salt of the earth. Why? Salt creates a thirst. Salt preserves all these things. He says you're the light of the world. Why? A light shining in a dark place so others can see the way to the light. It took men and women with a concern and a burden for me to pray for me in order that the day came that I came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, if it was not for the fact that there was a burden back years ago on the heart of the Apostle Paul as he went forth to proclaim the gospel, we wouldn't have it today. If it wasn't for the fact there were faithful people that came over from the old country to this country and established this country upon the basis of the Word of God, you and I wouldn't have the knowledge of the Word like we have it today. Let me read to you. Now, Jesus had just finished teaching. And in verse 3, he started in teaching. He said, listen, a farmer decided to sow some grain. As he scattered it across the field, some of it fell on the path and the birds came and picked it off the hard ground and ate it. Then he went on to say some fell on underlying a rock where it's just shallow ground. And then he went on to say that some of it fell in thorny ground where there are thorns and thistles. And then when he got all through teaching this, the disciples came to him and they said, Master, what were you trying to say? What were you trying to get across there? We don't understand this. So in chapter 14, he describes or he explains what he was trying to tell them. He says, the farmer that I talked about is anyone who brings God's message to others. Trying to plant good seed within their life. Now, what do you think the seed is? Who is the farmer? How many of you believe it means Christians? Planting the seed, being the farmer, planting the seed. Okay. I believe it too. I just want to assure you that that's what Jesus was talking about. He, <laughs> he was saying that it is the farmer going forth to plant seed. Now, you know, if the purpose of a farmer is to plant seed. The purpose of a fireman is to put out fires. The purpose of a policeman is to keep order. The purpose of a judge is to make decisions on law cases. The purpose of a farmer is to plant crops. 
Now, I want you to keep that in mind because Jesus describes those who are in the kingdom of God as farmers. And not with the connotation that he used to have back in the 50s and 60s when they say, boy, he sure is a farmer. You know, meaning slow, dull, thick at that time. He's talking about one, and by the way, I don't know about what you think about it, but I learned a long time ago that to be a successful farmer, you can't be somebody that's dull, slow, and thick. It takes some knowledge to be a farmer and to be able to make a profit at it. But he says, the farmer I talked to you about is anyone who brings God's message to others, trying to plant good seeds within their lives. Remember this morning, I told you if you get the seed in them, you got the hook in them, and they can't get away from it. The hard pathway where some of the seed fell represents the hard hearts of some of those who hear God's message. Satan comes at once to try to make them forget it. Now, you know, I told you that we're in a warfare. We're in a struggle, a constant struggle. That's why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, now you're going to come to some people and you're going to put the word of God in their heart and Satan's going to come and snatch it away. And you're going to say, oh, I would to God they would listen. I would to God they would be saved. The rocky soil represents the hearts of those who hear the message with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. Though at first they get along fine, as soon as persecution begins, they wilt. The thorny ground represents the hearts of people who listen to the good news and receive it. But all too quickly, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success, the lure of nice things come in and crowd out God's message from their hearts so that no crop is produced. But the good soil represents the hearts of those who truly accept God's message and produce a plentiful harvest for God. Thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times as much as was planted in their hearts. Now, something I want you to see here is that God says that any of us, when we go out planting seeds, must expect to see an increase come. Now, that farmer would be foolish if he were out in the field and he was saying, where's some thorny ground? I'll throw some seeds in the thorny ground. Where's the hard ground? I'll throw a bunch of seeds on the hard ground. And where's where's some ground full of thorns and thistles? I'll throw it in there now. And then I'll go out and try to find some good soil. Basically, a farmer tries to always put seed in good soil. But Jesus was saying, while he's sowing the seed, and if you've ever never seen a picture of how they used to sow the seed, while he's sowing the seed, he said, some of it falls on thorny ground and stony ground and hard ground, but some falls into good ground. And the first thing I want you to see is every farmer, every person who has received seed in his own heart and it has taken root and he becomes alive in God, God says, now I expect that person, if that's good ground in which that seed has fallen, I expect that person to become a farmer. And I expect him to be out planting seeds also. You see what he's saying? And you never plant a seed to get back a seed. You plant a seed to get back a lot of seed. I was reading an article in the Organic Gardening Magazine yesterday, and I think it said something about one seed of one particular type plant brings back 2,225 seeds. I thought, glory to God, Lord, if you could just make me that kind of a seed. <laughs> That's the kind of seed I want in me that produces just super abundantly. Now, the first thing is, we are to be the sowers. The second thing is, we have to recognize that when that seed goes forth, it's going to fall in every kind of soil, but don't get discouraged. Keep sowing the seed, and God will determine what kind of soil it falls into. And the important thing to the farmer is not so much that some falls on that kind of ground, but the fact that there is going to be a multiplication, a coming back of that seed. 
You see what I'm saying? We'll keep planting it so some of it fell on that ground. We're going to lose some of it, but we're going to keep on planting and believe God that we're going to find some good soil somewhere. I know that my sister came to me before I was a Christian and was discouraged from time to time because when she was sowing seeds, people would laugh at her and mock her and, and cut her off and turn their back on her. And some of my very own family didn't want anything to do with her. And I know that at times she got discouraged and thought, is it worth it? How much longer can I do this? And then some seed fell into my heart. And it was two years ago now that I called her on the phone on my 25th anniversary of being a Christian. And I said, I just want to thank you. And I thank God for you that 25 years ago you were faithful to put the word of God into my heart. And I want you to know that it's bringing forth fruit continuously. When I look back at the young people that we ministered to back in Denver, Colorado, we planted seeds in their hearts. A lot of times we almost had to stuff the seed down in there and water it and water it and water it. And I thought it's never going to come forth. And suddenly they burst forth and they're all over the world tonight bringing forth seed. Now, I could tell you of scores of people that I scattered seed all over and the birds were all over them. The ravens were all over them, plucking the seed away and taking it away. No fruit. But the important thing is that I don't look at that as much as I look for the times when it hits the good soil. It is my responsibility as a Christian to sow seed. Now let me ask you something. What if you don't have any seed to sow? Now he just says here the farmer had seed to sow. What is the seed? The Word. Where is that Word supposed to be? How many of us have enough of the Word of God in our heart that when somebody comes around it just splashes out? See why it's important? You and I can give stories and illustrations if we want to to people, but that isn't what hooks them. What hooks them is the Word of God. Give them a story and then mm, hit them with the Word right afterwards. Give them an illustration and then the Word of God says thus and such. And they'll remember the Holy Spirit will keep bringing that story and that Scripture back to them. And before long, it will bring forth fruit. If the ground in which it falls is not hard, if it is not stony, if it's not filled with thorns and thistles. You see, God doesn't tell us to go in and dig the stones out of their soil. He doesn't tell us to go and pull the thorns and thistles out. He says to Christians, you break up the fallow ground, the unused ground of your hearts, and let the Word of God come in anew and afresh. More seed into your life, and the more seed that comes into your life, what? What? Okay. Think about that now. He said that we have to sow, but first of all, the seed has to get into us. Now, it's just logical if the seed bears forth more seed, the more seed we get into us, the more seed's going to come out of us and the more it's going to reproduce. Is that right? Glory to God. I, I, you know, it's one thing to be sitting around and for 25 years be continuously confessing John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I learned that in Sunday school, someone would say, and that's all they know. Or believe into the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But you know, the more of the word we get down in us, the Spirit of God begins to cause it to bring forth fruit. And we have to keep saying, Lord, break up the fallow ground. You know what fallow ground is? How many of you know what fallow ground is? Okay, that, that's, that's, that's good. I'm glad. I say I'm a Nebraskan and sometimes I don't even think about that. Fallow ground is unused ground. Many times they'll let a ground field lay fallow, they'll call it. They'll plant some uh, rye seed in it and let it just grow up and just stay there for a year or two and not use it in order for it to build back some life. And they'll plow that grass in and they'll plant another cover crop on it and plow that back in. And they'll call that fallow ground where they're not using it. They're not planting seed in it. 
And the prophet came to the children of Israel and he said, God is wanting to bring a renewal, a revival, a harvest in your lives. Break up the fallow ground in your hearts. Oh, you've got some seed in you, but you've got so much of the ground that's not being used. Break it up. Tear it up. Get the word of God over into that area of your life. Say, Lord, here's a big fallow area of my life that I haven't even been talking to me about. Break it up and put the word of God in there. Now, when that word seed gets down into our hearts, it brings forth fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. But not only that, it begins to bring forth boldness to where we can witness more with more confidence and get the word in somebody else's heart and begin to feed them and to teach them and, excuse me, discipleize them. Discipleize them. Teach them. Bring them along. Put another verse in their heart and just watch it begin to blossom. And then, come on, you're doing fine, you know. Just what Dan Hayes was talking about. And every time you plant that seed in there, you say, now, God, bring forth by the Holy Spirit fruit in that life. Now, that last verse, what did it say there at the very end there? But the good soil represents the hearts of those who truly accept God's message and produce a plentiful harvest for God, 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as was planted in their hearts. So it's saying here that the good soil will be someone who not only comes to Christ, but will reproduce after their own kind 30, 60, 100 fold. Now think about that. It isn't enough just to have received seed and to become saved. But now he says that we become sowers and we sow seed and those seeds will bring forth fruit and we should see 30, 60, 100, 1,000, 10,000 fold, 2,225 fold for one seed that falls in our hearts. Winning others to Jesus Christ? I don't want you to raise your hand, but let me ask you something. Since you have been saved, how many people have you personally been able to lead to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? How many people has the Lord allowed you the privilege of being able to sit down with and lead them to Christ? Or after they were led to Christ in a Bible study or something... You were able to take them under your wing and begin to feed them and teach them and answer their questions and pray with them and encourage them in the things of the Lord. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, a hundred-fold. You know, it's awfully easy to be content just to know that the Word was sown in our hearts and to be content to constantly be fed. But again, Paul presented this same principle to Timothy. He says, now, the things that I've taught you, what? Write it in a book? No. Teach thou to other faithful men who will be able to sit on it. No. Who will teach other faithful men? Who will teach other faithful men? Who will teach other faithful men? Ad infinitum. Right on down the line. See, sowers of seed. Now, don't get discouraged if you say, Oh, Brother Webb, I haven't led anyone to the Lord yet. Well, you're not dead yet. But you know, the dangerous thing is to say, well, I haven't led anyone to the Lord yet, and I know I never will. Don't confess that. Begin to confess that God will bring someone into your pathway that's hungry and with a need. I've not forgotten yet a boy by the name of David Sanford. Strange that his name was Sanford. But I picked him up down at Lakeland one night on my way back from a meeting down there. And he was hitchhiking, had a backpack on just discouraged and down. And I said before I ever got in the car, Lord, I want to win this fellow to Christ. I'm asking in Jesus' name to speak to his heart. And I said, now, I want to talk to you about something very important. I want to talk to you about something that's most precious to my heart. 
I want to tell you what Jesus did in my life back so many years ago. And I started sharing Jesus with him, and before long he was weeping there in the front seat. Now, I didn't get a chance to do much teaching, but before we got to Orlando, he bowed his head and invited Christ in his heart and sat up and said, Wow! Wow! Profound, but that was his... Wow! And he didn't have any money, so I took him over to the motel, I put him in a motel, and I gave him a little New Testament that I had received years ago as a gift because I didn't have any Bibles with me or anything. And I said, now, read this New Testament. Read it. Get it down into your heart. I'll try to stop by in the morning for breakfast and we'll go on from here. Well, the next morning, some people called and some people came and I got tied up. So by the time I called him, they said he'd already checked out and I never saw him again. What, a year and a half later, a little news bulletin came in the mail from way off in some other state. California or Oklahoma or somewhere. I can't remember where it was now. But I thought, well, who in the world sent me this? And I turned into the inside page and it was circled. And it was a retreat where ministers and missionaries went out and lived and they invited people in that were having struggles, new Christians and so forth. It was a retreat place and they could work uh, with the farm animals and with the crops and then they would teach them the Word of God. And in it, he was giving this testimony that a change came in his life one night as he was hitchhiking, having been on dope and in stealing and immorality and everything else. And he was about ready to commit suicide. And he was walking along the road that night, totally discouraged, hitchhiking. And he said some preacher from Central Florida picked him up and pointed him to how much Jesus Christ loved him. And that night he asked Jesus to come into his heart. And he said since then he has been reading this little New Testament and growing there at that place. And he said, I can't thank the Lord enough that he set me free from all my past. And now I want to serve Jesus Christ. I thought all I did was plant a seed. I didn't do anything difficult. I just put the seed. But you see, the Holy Spirit had his heart ready. Now, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to prepare hearts of people for us so that we can be what Jesus told us we ought to be. Sower of seed. Now, first of all, make sure once you know the seed should be there, that you get more seed and more seed and more seed down here. And before long, whether you like it or not, you'll become like a drunk in a crowd. Because that seed is just going to bring forth the fruit of the joy of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, and people will look at you and say, I don't understand how you can have such peace and such joy, how you can constantly be praising the Lord, why problems don't bother you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You see, that attitude, that's, that's the Spirit of God just bubbling out. Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. And the more seed you get down there, the more it'll splash. And before long, somebody's going to come to you and say, can I have what you got? Then you begin to be fruitful that he's talking about. Now, it says that you should reproduce 30, 60, or 100 fold what you received in seed. You see that? We're the sower. After the seed comes into our hearts, we turn from being the ground into the sower. And then we should keep sowing until we see fruit reproduced in our lives and souls being saved. And let me tell you something. If you have your mind renewed by the Word of God, when people are in trouble, as I said a couple Sundays ago, they will come to you. They'll look to you for help in that time. Now, the Word gives us some symptoms of the unrenewed mind, the mind that's not been renewed by the Word of God. Let's just take a quick look at them. First of all, in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
verses 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 2. Let me just say that in 1 Thessalonians, Paul had been speaking to the church of Thessalonica, and they were concerned about a certain happening. They had understood that everybody was going to be alive when Jesus came back, that the Christians weren't going to die, that they'd still be here on earth when Jesus came back. He's just going away for a short season, come right back. And then Christians start dying on them. They got all upset. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians wrote to them and said, Now don't be concerned about this. Those that are in the grave are going to precede those that are still alive. They've got to start up first because they've got to, you know, we've got to go, they're six feet further away from heaven. So they've got to start first so we can all get there at the same time, someone said. But he says, They that are dead shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort in one another this words. He says, this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Don't be concerned about that. When the Lord comes, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we're going to go with them. Now, when he came into the second book, he saw that they were still having difficulty with this. He had explained to them and taught them in the Word what they should do, but they weren't listening to the Word. They were going by their feelings. Oh, but my mother and my grandmother, they're in the grave. What am I going to do? Surely they, how can they ever come up out of that grave? They're dead now. There's just no way they can do it. And Paul says, stop that. I already instructed you from the Word. Get your mind into the Word. What the Holy Spirit has shown me, I've taught you. Now abide in that truth. You see, they were trying to make decisions through the senses of this body. And they knew that that loved one was in the casket and he wasn't alive anymore. She wasn't alive anymore. How can this thing be? So in chapter 2 he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand or that it's now present. Now, I want you to notice that little phrase in there says, shaken in mind. It actually means to be to put out of balance or swayed by your senses. Shaken in mind means to be swayed or to be put out of balance by your senses. Don't let that happen to you. I know what you're seeing, feeling, smelling, tasting, and touching. I know what you're going through, but don't let what you see by those senses shake your mind. I've already told you what the Word says. Establish your heart and mind in what the Word says. Another definition of that shaken in mind would be an outside force causing a rocking motion. Don't allow an outside force to cause a rocking motion in your life like a building in an earthquake. The whole foundation begins to shake you. Or a, a ship in a storm. Or a boat that's anchored with an unsteady anchor, an insecure anchor. I know what that's like. We were fishing one time in Minnesota and been looking and looking and looking for a hole for walleye. And we finally got one and the wind was blowing terribly. So I said, put down both the anchors. And we put down both the anchors and I threw down there and we got one walleye. So I knew there'd be more there. And we threw it down again. And man, I got about a three pound walleye. And I was bringing that thing up two and a half, three pounds. And by the time I got it up, I said, boy, this is fantastic. It means there's a whole hole of them there. And we looked up and the boat was moved. And we didn't know where it, which way it had moved or how it had moved. But both anchors had given way. And we've been looking for hours trying to find that one hole of walleye. Now that's what it's talking about. We were shaken. I mean, the, the whole thing was moved because of an insecure anchor. And this is what Paul says. Now, your anchor is not secure because you're trying to establish it upon your senses. Don't be shaken in your mind. 
This speaks to my heart because so many times, again, having known that I've had to preach some messages that I don't want to preach, I don't enjoy preaching, but it's the, what the Word says and I have to preach it. And I have people come to me and they say, I know what the Word says, what it seems to say, Brother Webb, but it's, oh, it's just so difficult. And I have to say to them, don't be shaken in your mind by what you sense with your senses. They'll say to me, I, I can't find a scripture to back up, but, but I, I just feel that it can't be that way. Well, it doesn't make any difference what you feel or what I feel. It's what the Word of God says. These people are there in Thessalonica were saying, well, I know what Paul said. He said we're all going to be raptured one of these days, but how can it? Well, just look, there's mom. She's in the grave. She's gone. But just How can it be? And Paul says it doesn't make any difference. What you see or what you think, it's what the Word says. Anybody got any idea what I might be suggesting or saying here? Brother Joe, I just can't believe that God could mean that. Even though that's what the Word says, I just can't believe that God... Well, I just can't feel it in my own spirit. That's tr that can't be what God's Word means. says it just as plain as day. I'm talking about the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. People are shaking in their mind. As an outward force. Rocking them like under an earthquake or a ship in a storm or an unsecure anchor. That's just exactly what Paul is saying to them here. Now, you're looking at circumstances. You're looking at the physical, what you can tell with your heart and with your eyes and your ears and your nose and your fingertips. He said, stop that. It doesn't make any difference what I feel or what I think. It's what the Word of God teaches. Establish your mind. Renew your mind by the Word of God. And it won't be shaken and it won't be blown back and forth. You heard anybody say this about any doctrines? Well, I know, yeah, well, but Brother Webb, that's, that's, that's hard. Yes, it is. So are some other doctrines hard. But it's what the Word says. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say it again. If we're not anchored in the Word, we don't have a foundation. If what we believe and what we're trying to hold to is not based completely upon the Word of God, we're going to be in confusion. Shaken in our mind. Well, Brother Webb, but I know what the Word says, but if you only knew this particular situation, these circumstances over here, wouldn't make any difference if I knew the circumstances. The Word of God is not written based upon circumstances. The Word of God is written upon the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but this is being so unrealistic and un... That's the unrenewed mind talking. All the ways of God are wondrous. All the purposes of God are perfect. There is nothing that Jesus Christ will call a man or a woman to do but what it's for their good. Do you believe that? Some people say, Brother Webb, you just don't know how hard this thing is. Oh, yes, I do. Jesus said, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Paul said he went through all sorts of tribulations and trials, and but he says there's just one thing above it all. I glory not save in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom I am crucified to the world. Now, I told you the other night that God says, first of all, we've got to die before we can live. Die to ourself, to our own inhibitions, our own goals, our own desires. And everything that we find in the Word of God, if God has said it and God has done it before, God's grace is sufficient. We learned something when I was in Bible school that was so important. To me. God's will will never put you where God's grace cannot keep you. Now, what does that mean? Wherever God brings you to a knowledge of Himself and you step into the light of the Word and in obedience to the Word, there is no sacrifice too great if it's consistent with God's Word. We see people over in Guyana 
willing to pay the supreme price to follow after a man who evidently started out as, what I hear, a very fine man, upright, trying to do the right thing. He came into deception, fear, misguided, got away from the Word of God. End result, 910 people dead by poisoning. We see day after day that the communists are willing to destroy themselves and everything around them for the sake of communism. But for some reason, we're led to believe that it doesn't, it isn't supposed to cost something to follow after Jesus Christ. But you see, that's the unrenewed mind that says that. Because that isn't what the Word says. Is that what the Word says? It isn't going to cost us anything? Paul didn't say put on your play suit. He said put on the whole armor of God. Paul didn't say it was going to be easy. Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. He said, look, don't even say you're going to follow after me until you sat down and counted the cost. When I talk about loving me, he says, I'm talking about a different kind of love than you've ever known before. I'm talking about a love that's so complete, so magnificent, so unnatural, so supernatural, that if you had to compare it, you would have to hate anyone else in comparison to your love for me. Oh, but I can't give up such... Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. Do you mean you expect me to do it? Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to love me above everything else. Well, that's not even realistic. No, it's supernatural. It's what God says in His Word. But Brother Webb, I just don't feel it. doesn't make a difference what I feel. People say, Brother Webb, how can you teach that? I said, simply by looking in the Word of God and finding it consistently throughout the Word of God. That's what it says. Yes, but I just don't feel as though... That's the unrenewed mind talking again. doesn't make any difference what I feel. I feel as though I'm just trying my best to get across the thought here, but it's very, very hard because we're talking in an area here where we're so emotionally involved that that unrenewed mind keeps coming up and saying, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. There is no but when the Word of God says it clearly. And that's what we want to resolve if it's very, very clear. But you see, when we aren't renewed by the Word of God, we come into the area of confusion. And that's where the yes, but, but, oh, I just can't feel, and just doesn't seem, and all these other words. We're going to be like that foundation being swayed, never stabilized. And in the Greek, it actually says, who hath put a spell, who hath cast a spell upon you, that you should not obey the truth. I don't blame the parishioners. I don't blame the laity. I don't blame the, the church members today. I blame the ministers, the leaders, because they have compromised the Word of God in order to receive public acceptance. Before Second World War, and I wish I could go back and find the archives of many preachers' messages before the Second World War, between First and Second World War, I believe that I could have probably found three, four, five messages a year by pastors on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But you know, there suddenly came a deep, dark abyss of nothingness on that subject after the Second World War. And the church has compromised and compromised and compromised on it and gotten away from the Word of God. Now, let me explain something to you again. This has to happen in order that the Word of God be fulfilled in the last days. It doesn't mean it's right, but the Word of God says in the last days they will be like it was in the days of Noah, marrying and giving in marriage. Now, it, this had to happen. There had to be a falling away first. That's exactly what it says in here. There's going to be a falling away first. But it doesn't mean that we need to fall away if we're going to say we're established on the Word of God. 
many theological treaties today, and I have people say, Brother Webb, I've got a book here you just got to read. I say, give it to me, I'll read it. And I say, I can tell you what the premise probably is. And I start in, yeah, that's what the premise is. That's right. I said, it's built upon a false premise, not established on the Word of God. Or they'll build it on a firm foundation until they get halfway through and then say, but, and then off they go into situation ethics, emotionalism, all the other answers that they have. Public acceptance, unrenewed reasoning, unrenewed by the Word of God. Now, let me tell you again, you know, I deeply empathize and my heart goes out to situations. I understand problems that people are walking into and have walked into. But let me tell you something else, something that some people don't know. I'm also seeing God leading others out of this mess. In these last few months, we have seen two people that God revealed this to them and they've recognized that through praying constantly and saying, God, I don't care what it takes. I want the perfect will of God in my life. Through turmoil, God will hear that prayer. If they mean it seriously, that they want to be in the perfect will of God. And one person for seven years has struggled with this thing through 23 years of second marriage. He just couldn't comprehend this. This just can't be so. Oh, I just can't understand this. And he listened to the tapes. He responded to the tapes and said, is this what you're trying to say to me, God? I'll be open to it if it is. And the more he said that, the worse the situation got. Until finally God just revealed it to him, that's exactly what he's been saying. And if he wanted to come into a place of obedience and blessing and a knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ, evidence of it would be repentance in that thing. He has repented of it and God is beginning to stabilize his life. Now, I just share these things to say that it doesn't make any difference how I feel. And my heart goes out. I, I agonize for these situations. But you see, I didn't cause those situations. You don't cause those situations. We can't be the solution to those situations. We can preach what God's Word says and pray with them and encourage them and hold their hands and strengthen them.